0: What a phenomenal thing that is for somebody to have hope. Can't lose hope. You lose hope, you have nothing. No matter how bad your day is, it's a day. You can't buy a day. That's something you can never forget.
1: From Lifeline of Ohio, this is To Be Continued. Stories of life, loss, and legacy. A podcast produced in partnership with Westler Media. For Bill Patton, being the recipient of a transplant is a bittersweet experience. You are confronted with the truth that in order for your life to go on, someone else's life must come to an end. As one family sheds tears of joy, another family sheds tears of grief. Even though Bill's transplant was nearly 30 years ago, he still thinks about this truth with kind of a reluctant acceptance, that there's no way to control the tendrils of fate. There's no way Bill can control whose life ends and the gift he received because of it. But what Bill can control is how he uses his gift the gift of time.
0: My name is Bill Patton. Almost 30 years ago, I got a liver transplant, January 3rd, 1992. And it obviously saved your life, but it transformed your life. It was uh, the most pivotal day in my life. And it's just a thrill to be here. I was a great school teacher when I first got out of college in Caddus, Ohio. And then I got a job at Cambridge High School as a, a special ed teacher. Loved it. Every day was new. Even you're, t- you're teaching the same thing every year, but every day is new. Every day, the problems are new. The kids are new. Every, every day is a, a different, you know, there's a challenge there. Some kids having a horrible day. You don't know where they came from that morning, what last night was like. So you, you just have to be flexible, but disciplined. You're trying to teach the responsibility aspect. I coached basketball and track, then transitioned into um, administration and I was the athletic director there when I got sick. I kept thinking I had the flu. I would get antibiotics because I thought it was uh, some kind of an infection. I just lost all my energy. I would sleep constantly. I'd go home after work and sleep all night until the next day. And you would get up and you'd be tired. You couldn't sleep enough to get rid of this tiredness. And then they um, determined one night when I couldn't get back out of the chair that I'd had an end-stage liver failure. My family doctor, he had a connection there that got me at an appointment at UPMC. The Gist of the first meeting at UPMC. It's so much to take in. It's like you're an observer and you hear it. You know, they're telling you to go home and get your affairs in order, you're basically going to die. It was one of those drive at home with your wife, and nobody says anything times. Just both takes, it takes so long to figure that out. It's such a shock to your system. It takes you hours to process it. And then it it comes into focus. We're in big trouble. But there's a chance that you might have a qualified to to be a transplant recipient.
1: With Bill's recent diagnosis looming over him and his wife, he began the application process that will qualify him for a liver transplant.
0: We got accepted in, in November, actually. They called and accepted me in November. And we knew where we were in. We had a chance. Was I going to get my call? That was what the issue was. They gave you diet to follow and no alcohol, no, um, no proteins. And you, so we did that for almost a year. We did what they told us. I think that's a lot of it. You have to learn it's not your game anymore. It, it, it's the equivalent of getting on a train and you're not getting off this train. I get on the list and I get a pager. This is why I've lost contact with the younger generation. They gave me a pager and took the pager wherever you, wherever you went. You can't be more than two hours away from Pittsburgh. So I could do that. It's okay until the lights go out. When you're by yourself and laying in bed, it's a rough go. You're thinking you let people down. I have a big extended family. But I didn't want my parents to lose another, lose a child. I didn't want my brothers to lose a brother. And I don't want my wife to lose her husband. And you're 35 years old and you're looking square at being gone. And and you see it coming because you know you're you know you're dying. You can tell. You can just you just feel it. And there's it's an odd feeling. It's kind of calming because you know this is this is just the way it's gonna be. The other hard part with when you're waiting for a liver is you, um, you just lose a lot of memory. Your ammonia level builds up in your system. And when your ammonia level would get too high, you would just, you couldn't think. And that's, a, that's been a kind of a difficult thing over the years. When you're really sick, you'd have the, the ups and downs. I, I lost my car. I walked home from, from a restaurant and I'd forgotten where I parked my car. You know, it's not like you're under any influence of anything. It just, and, and so then you realize, you know, that I'm really starting to lose it. And that's when you realize the memory part was, was the really hardest part because you that's when you think that's not right. I should be able to remember that. But again, you adapt and adjust and move on. You keep thinking, man, there's a chance to get out of here. And what a, what a phenomenal thing that is for somebody to have hope. Can't lose hope. You can lose everything else. You lose your money, your house, whatever. You lose hope. You have nothing. So we had hope. We just hoped every day that maybe tomorrow. But on the other side of that is you're waiting for somebody to die to make your life go on. And it's still to this day it haunts you. Still, You still feel guilty. 30 years later, why didn't, why didn't he get a chance? And why did I? I was at home on on January second. They called me. We just finished eating dinner. I was the athletic director at the high school, and we had a really good basketball team. Uh, we had sold out the game for Friday night. We were playing Zanesville, and I get a call, and the lady says, "Can you come up as a backup tonight?" And I'm thinking, "Well, I got a game tomorrow night. You know, sold the gym out and everything." And I, I'm wavering, and. She said, I'll call you right back. And so I told my wife, I said, hey, that was Pittsburgh. I, can, I got a chance uh, as a backup, but, you know, oh, it's not going to happen. There's no way. You know, I'm, I'm going to get up there, and I'm probably feeling too good for them to do this. And I'm just telling my wife all this stuff that she's letting it go in one ear and out the other. She said, call back. We'll be up. I worked that Thursday, and I never, never went back. By nine, nine o'clock, we were on the road to Pittsburgh. When you get there and you sign in that night, it's not your call. And that's a very difficult issue, especially when you're younger and you realize, I don't have control over anything from here on out. You can't control if you're gonna live or die. You have no control over your whole life. And, and that's, a, that's a kind of a hard issue to come up with. They wrap your head around. We signed in. They checked in like you're a patient. They came in and took all your blood work and make sure you didn't have an active infection. If you have an active infection, they won't transplant. And they came in and said you're you're good to go if this works out. And they said it'll be a while before it comes in and we'll let you know in the morning. So we kind of sat up all night in this room my wife and I and we waited and that next morning she said "Uh, it's not going to work out for you. It's here. And then for some reason, about 10 minutes later, they came up and said, it's going to be too big for the guy ahead of you. Um, you're up. Fear doesn't come close. Panic, I think, would be a better... You had no confidence in yourself. This doctor I had, he was just the greatest thing ever. He, he was so confident that this is going to work out for you. It was a payphone. At the end of the hall at the hospital, I called my best friend who was a minister. And he came over, and, and my brothers got there in time, and, and he brought my parents up.
1: After Bill notified his friends and family, he underwent the surgery, finally receiving the transplant he desperately needed.
0: I think it was about two days later I came out of the, the vent. I remember when the guy took it out, and you started to breathe on your own, and and my wife came in and says, "Oh my god, you you're you're not yellow. Once your liver starts to work, it clears out." I had a I had a lot of ups and downs. Um which everybody does generally. You get infections and I had to have my bile ducts reconstructed. They come in and they tell you all the things you have to change, you got to do this and you're you're just stymied by it more or less. It's so much. And then you do one thing at a time and you just learn, do the best you can every day and try to do something to make yourself better every day. You didn't feel great, you had all kinds of issues, and you know, these these don't cure anything. You do trade problems for problems, but you got an opportunity to, to take your chance and see what you can do with it. Because you when you get this gift from that donor, you've got to promise them, I'll do whatever it takes to make this last as long as I possibly can. There's a chance that you're going to stay alive. I mean, who wouldn't want another Christmas with their grandma or their uncle or their wife or whatever son? And I've had 30 of them. That's quite a gift. His family didn't get 30 and mine did. And I'm so happy that he gave me that opportunity. If it wasn't going to work out for him, it, it happened. He was... He was not going to live through his accident. I heard at the hospital that it was a 19-year-old young man killed in a motorcycle accident in New Orleans. And uh, he was brain dead, and they, and, they, and his family, thank goodness, said yes to donation. And, and I've written a couple letters, and I never got anything back, which is their choice. You, you have empathy for these people who've lost literally everything and you've gained everything. Somehow, someway I got his liver and um, I think of that guy every day. People die and people live and that's the hard part of the rules. But as long as somebody's walking around with their kidney, their liver, they're not really completely gone. It's a strange concept, but I think it's true.
1: A few years after his transplant, Bill decided to become a volunteer for Lifeline of Ohio.
0: What gave me the confidence to do a lot of things was Lifeline of Ohio. It's such an accepting group. I think it's been like 25 years, 28 years. I started out as one of the youths. Now I think if we go back, I might be the oldest. I'm hoping somebody's got more time in me it doesn't look good. (laughs) They changed lives every day. They coordinate and, and they and they educate. The opportunity that Lifeline of Ohio has given us given me is the ability to see both sides. And then when you see the whole thing, you realize what the impact is on the other side of the, of the fence. And that's something you can never forget. If you forget that, then you've really lost your sense. No matter how bad your day is, it's a day. Oh. It's a really bad day, but it's a day. Oh, you know, this is the greatest day ever. Thank goodness. And you can't buy a day. If you're if you're a potential donor, your family will win because they'll have a group. They'll have another family with them, and the donor families are a tight knit bunch. They really, really are. All the people that have been affected from Lifeline of Ohio. The net cast so far you can't imagine. The ripples. Somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And then that's when it becomes personal and people really start to believe this stuff can work. And it's it's worthwhile.
1: This has been To Be Continued, a podcast from Lifeline of Ohio, produced in partnership with Wesler Media. Production credits to Jessica Peterson and Patrick Klinger from Lifeline of Ohio's public relations team and Sharon Sindrich, Director of Communications and Public Relations. This series was produced, mixed, and sound designed at the studios of Wessler Media. And while this is the end of the episode, it's not the end of the story. Visit lifelineofohio.org to learn more or visit the link in the show notes. Because when you register to become an organ, eye, and tissue donor, your legacy may allow someone else's life to be continued.